You're listening to Faith Assembly of God Online, a recording of our weekly service. Thanks for joining with us, a place where hope and reality converge. He's sporting the colors of the Minnesota Vikings because he played with them as he was a, a part of the great defensive line that was uh, of that time and just the, uh, the notoriety. But he is welcomed here among the sea of black and gold. And so we welcome you to, uh, to Pittsburgh uh, country. But it is a joy to have Joe Jackson with us, former NFL defensive end, but most importantly, a follower of Jesus Christ. His name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Would you please give a welcome to Joe Jackson? Amen. Praise God. It's good to be here. I remember some glorious days playing against Terry Bradshaw. I saw him later, and, um, you know, of course, you talk about the times that you've had, the success that you've had against Bradshaw, and I, I did get to sack him. <laughs> Praise God. <laughs> I was sitting at a table next to um, Craig Morton, Bradshaw, and Roger. We, and we all had one thing in common. Amen. Got them all. <laughs> well, Father, we thank you so much for your presence here, Lord. God, I thank you, Lord, for your grace and mercy. I need your grace and mercy that makes preaching effective. Oh, Lord God, we know that, God, we are in a, a war. We have an adversary. We feel restrictive forces. But, God, we know that your word is going to have its way this morning. Your word says that your incredible great power for us who believe is like the working of your mighty strength, which you exerted in Christ Jesus. So, God, we know, God, that you're going to accomplish great things this morning. We give you praise, and we thank you for Jesus Christ, Lord. Amen and amen. Thank you, Brother Jason. Thank you so much for the privilege to be here. I was here years ago. I look different. Had a head full of hair, I know, but uh, things have happened. You know, I'm going to talk to you this morning about the steps of a champion, the steps of a champion. This morning, we are indeed looking for a champion. You know, there was a book release, and you may, may have it in your library, called The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And this book sold millions and millions of copies because people want to be effective. People want to be successful. Nobody, I believe, starts out in kindergarten and the teacher will say, hey, 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 little Joey Jackson, get up here in front of the class and tell the students what you want to be when you grow up. And little Joey doesn't say, I want to be a felon. I want to be a rapist. I want to be a murderer. I want to be a pedophile. I want to spend 57 years locked up in a penal institution. No way, Jose. But the problem is there is a dearth in our society for mentoring relationships. And seemingly, those of us who make it really don't have the heartbeat or the passion to help those who are aspiring yet to make it. Oh, yeah. Who are aspiring yet to make it. Because we're so busy sometimes having the business of having church that we don't take the time to pass out those nuggets for living the abundant Christian life outside the walls of the church. So instead of using the church in its proper context, the church for some has become a narcotic that they take to numb them from living a life that they cannot stand. I need to remind you of something that your faith was never given to you to replace crack cocaine 
are to numb you like Novocaine so that you can kind of exist in life, get lost in some spiritual euphoria to the point that you forget who you are, what your destiny is, what your vision is, what your purpose is, what God's dream for your life is. Your faith was meant to be the gasoline that ignites your engine, that causes your mind to explode beyond racism, beyond injustice, beyond bigotry, beyond anything that is holding you back. Because I believe that there are some people here this morning who are believing God for a breakthrough. And those are the folks that I really want to talk to this morning. Because we need to see more champions. I believe champions are in limited supply. You know, I'm not talking about ordinary. I'm not talking about average. I'm not talking about mediocre. I am talking about champions. And what I'm also not talking about is perfection. How many of you know that you don't have to be perfect to be a champion? We can all think back to the Super Bowl, Super Bowl 42, which was happened to be in Phoenix. And Super Bowl 42 pitted the New England Patriots of a record of 18 and 0 against the New York Giants that had a record of 12 and 7. And we all know, or some of us know, remember what happened Super Bowl 42 when David Tyree caught the helmet catch on his helmet. And the team that 18 and 0 were now 18 and 1 because they lost that game. So you don't have to be perfect to be a champion because oftentimes your greatness is birthed out of the ashes of your own human frailties and failures. I mean, if it wasn't for the word of God, I wouldn't have a clue as to what a real champion is. But thank God for the word of God that openly discloses the successes and the failures of great men and women that God used anyway in spite of their failures. Oh, yeah. In spite of their failures. You're saying, hold on a minute, Big Joe. You mean God will use a failure? Yes, he will. And the number one reason, obviously, that he'll use failures is that all, that's all he has on this side. is broken, fractured. Forgiven failures. And number two, why God will use a failure is because he is that kind of God. He is that kind of God. And God told something very powerful to Abraham. He said, Abraham, I'm going to give you a great name. I'm going to give you notoriety. I'm going to make you famous. I'm going to give you wealth. And then in chapter 22, he begins to show Abraham how to become as great as his name is. Because it is possible to have your name, as Dr. Edwin Lewis Cole would say, to be greater than your character. And in Genesis 12, God gives Abraham a great name. And in Genesis 22, Abraham struggles to become that champion that God indeed says that he is. You know, church is highly superficial and even dangerous for your name to be greater than you are. And God gave Abraham a great name, but becoming a champion was something that he had to be tested for. Some of you are going through a test right now. You're going through something that is unusual for you. Maybe it's even painful in certain ways. Well, Abraham was tested. He was not perfect. He had flaws. He made mistakes. He carried things that God said, don't carry. He told lies. But none of these things negated him from the fact that he was a man after God's own heart. 
He believed God and it was accounted unto him as what? As righteousness. He had the kind of faith that enabled him, enabled him to stand in spite of the facts. You know, church, there's a marked difference between fact and truth. You see, facts are based on experience and knowledge. But truth is derived from thus saith God. And some of you have been looking at facts and become fearful when God says, trust me, I'm not going to lie to you. I've got a dream for you. I've got a scheme for you. And if you'll trust me, you'll see my glory. This is a difficult message to to teach, certainly even to preach even, because there are many of us who don't see ourselves as great, who don't see ourselves as champions. And one of the main reasons why we don't see ourselves as champions or winners is because we measure our greatness by the people around us. And if the people around us in your circle don't substantiate any greatness towards you, then you will cease to feel great. Because you use your friends as a mirror to reflect your image. You know, my name, nickname, growing up, was Cookie. Now, Cookie... I'm 6'5", 270. I was big in high school, but Cookie is not a tough name. <laughs> I mean, oh, this little Cookie, little sissy. I mean, it's not like, now my nickname in college was Mad Mountain Jackson. Oh, that's got a nice ring to it. But if I go back to Cincinnati today where I grew up, uh, uh, my teammates, high school teammates, neighborhood friends will call me Cookie. And I got the name Cookie because in the 10th grade, my first year of, rather not my, well, my first year of high school football, we practiced all day during the training, the summer training. I didn't get a chance to go home. So you either brought a lunch or you went to the store and you got something to eat. Well, I went to the store, but I didn't have any money. So I stole a bag of Oreo cookies. So that's how I got the name Cookie. It doesn't matter what they call you. You might have a nickname. You may have failed. You might have a trail of failure. But believe me, failure is not failure, nor is it final, unless you don't learn from it. Failure is not failure, nor is it final, Unless you don't learn from it. I don't care what they call you. God has redeemed you by the blood of Jesus Christ. And you are destined for his greatness and to fulfill his glory and your destiny. I'm going to talk to you about some of these steps of a champion. Some of these steps of a winner. Number one is submission. You say, "Mm, that sounds like an odd one. The Bible says in Genesis 24, he tells Abraham, Abraham, take your son, your only son that you love, and go to a place where I will show you of, and I want you to sacrifice him there. What a a, a just painful, unbelievable request, demand from God. 
Yet there were no questions. Uh, there was no debate. Uh, there was no conversation. God spoke. Abraham obeyed. You see, church, before you can lead, and there's people here who want to be leaders, and you take all these leadership courses, and you want to be a leader, but before you can lead, you need to submit, you need to follow. And submission really begins with submission to God. You know, I don't agree very much with Charles Barkley says, because he says things just off the cuff. He says things that are ridiculous. Like he thought the Portland Trailblazers were going to beat the San Antonio Spurs in five games, which was the opposite, the exact opposite. He said that double-breasted suits that guys wear are for the former millennium. So if you have a double-breasted suit, brother, you are out of style. And I bought into that until I saw the bishop, Bishop T.D. Jakes, come to our church in a black double-breasted suit, bad as could be. I got my suits out of the closet. One thing Charles Barkley said that I do agree with, and, 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 and that is this. He says that as parents, to a certain degree, as parents, we have ruined our kids. Because we fail to teach them submission. You allow these kids to do whatever they want, to listen to whatever they want, to say whatever they want, to go and to hang out with whomever they want. And you might think, well, Joe, you don't know how it is. I do know how it is. I have a 20-year-old daughter. We're just trying to relate to Susie. We're just trying to relate to Junior. No, we don't want them to, to we, don't, we don't want a, a pregnancy to happen, but we're just providing them contraceptive just in case. Uh, no, we don't want them to use drugs, the alcohol, but just in case. And while you think you're trying to relate to them and show relationship, you're really te- training them for rebellion. That's exactly what you're doing. And the Bible says that rebellion is worse than witchcraft. Oh, yeah. Rebellion will abort any success that you may have had with your child. I learned a, 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 something about rebellion a long time ago, man, when I was in the seventh grade. In the seventh grade, I was six feet tall, 200 pounds as a seventh grader. But... I had some fast much muscle twitch fibers. In other words, this brother could run. <laughs> Big but fast. So when I got to the seventh grade, I told the coach, he says, okay, I want you to get these little cards here, and I want you to write your position of what you want to play. So I put um, fullback. Now, see, back in the 60s and 70s, fullbacks were like Franco. They weren't just glorified guards. Fullbacks like Jim Brown and Franco Harris and Jim Nance and all the great fullbacks that came through, they carried the ball, they ran. They were dominating runners. So that's what I wanted to be. The coach took one look at me. He said, boy, 
Good goodness, as big as you are, you're a seventh grader? I said, yeah, coach. I'm going to put you at offensive guard. I said, coach, no way. I'm playing a fullback. He said, son, as big as you are, you're going to be on the right side. As a matter of fact, you might be the entire right side of the, of the offensive line. And for the next 20 years of my football experience, I never scored another touchdown. And you know what? It wasn't just for the sake of compliance, because uh, submission will teach you discipline. Oh, yeah. Submission will teach you discipline. And if you don't teach your children discipline, you will delay what God desires to do in their life. Oh, yeah. You will delay the fulfillment of God's dream, of God's purpose in their lives. That's why men, we need the fathers, we need you fathers back in the home. And I'm not talking about in the home as a breadwinner. Someone who's going to provide three meals and clothes and a bicycle and whatever. No, but I'm talking about men to invest in their kids' lives. Go to the games. I, I don't recall a game that my father ever missed. That is in high school, in junior high. In high school, we flew to Niles, Ohio, from Cincinnati. We flew as a high school football team, we got in the plane and flew, and my dad was that, was my dad and mom, they had already driven there. Now, I wasn't a perfect kid. I made some hideous, horrid, heinous choices. But I thank God that my dad never gave up on me. And he tried to be the role model and kept me out of jail. Because we raise a generation today and don't get me wrong, moms, but have just been mama to death. Because you've had to be the mama. You've had to be the aunt. You've had to be the daddy. You've had to be the granddaddy. Because the guys aren't there. And it's a sad documentation in my own race. But there's more African American males, 18 to 26, in jails, prisons, than there are in institutions of higher learning. We need our men back in the homes to make it an impact. We need our guys to stand up. You know, it's easy for me to preach, and I was telling somebody earlier this morning, I'm preaching to the choir. Our country, our nation... And I'm glad you prayed for the president and prayed for our nation because we should be praying for him. Because you look at the bend of this nation where you celebrate, and maybe I'll take some criticism after the service, but you celebrate someone or some bodies who come out, and that's heavenly. And a guy like Tim Tebow catches hell because he talks about his faith in Jesus Christ. It's crazy. 
It's crazy. Well, those folks out there aren't going to do a thing about it. So the light has got to come from inside. It's got to come from the men. It's got to come from the women. It's got to come from the kids who aren't going to take a backseat to compromise, backseat to everybody else is doing it, backseat to give your virginity away, backseat to kiss and to love anybody you want to. Oh, I just need to go on here. Number two is sensitivity. Abraham said, or rather God told Abraham, go to a mountain where I will show you of. Oh, God, can you give me a sign? No. Well, God, can you give me an address? No. Well, God, how can you give me an assignment if you don't give me any details? Oh, I learned. When God tells you to do something, he doesn't always give you details, a blueprint. He just says, trust me, and I want you to go. God, is this some kind of cruel game? No, not at all. Abraham was lost on the mountains of Moriah on the range of a mountain looking for a particular mountain. He had to grope. He had to feel. He had to claw his way. And God said to Abraham, go, and when you get there, I'll show you. And Abraham went, and God never spoke to him about this ever again. See, when you sense the will of God, you don't have to waste all that money calling Sister Lorraine and asking, what's my future? (laughs) When you sense the will of God in your spirit, you don't have to chase every prophet that comes in your town and say, Brother Carter, do you have a word for me? Matter of fact, the word that it gives you, if it doesn't bring affirmation, confirmation, and transformation, you need to kick it to the curb. Oh, yeah. Number three is separation. And separation doesn't come until you see the place. But if you can't separate, then guess what? You'll never attain the place that you see. I mentioned you the cold-blooded truth that I sacked Terry Bradshaw, and I did. But see, as a, as a defensive end, if I'm playing uh, right-side defensive end, I got a guy in front of me that's probably taller than me. He outweighs me, and he wants to engage with me. So I, I come, off the, I come off, off the line of scrimmage, and I get into him. And if I'm fighting him and wrestling him, one second, two seconds, Bradshaw just needs three and a half seconds, three-step step drop back, and he's gone. He's, he had a cannon. I had to separate I finished second in sacks as a rookie because I had to separate. I couldn't spend time wrestling, fighting with an offensive guard or tackle. I would have never got back to where I needed to be. Some of you see where you need to be right now, but you can't separate. That thing that's held you back before you were saved, during your salvation, you can't separate from it. Maybe somebody told you you were a loser 20 years ago, and you can't separate. Maybe you flunked a grade. You can't separate from that. Maybe you had a couple marriages, and they were both your fault 
why divorce came, you can't separate. The closer you get to your dream, you have to narrow your circle. The closer you get to your vision, you have to narrow your circle. When Abraham saw the place, he said, me and the lad are going going to go up there and pray, but we'll be back. You guys just, King James says, you guys just stay with the asses. Sometime. (laughs) You got to tell folk (laughs) that you've been trying to, to convert, trying to get them to see, nudging them to stay awake in the sermon. And they're playing with babies, checking a score on a phone. Okay, just stay with the answers. God spoke to my spirit. I'm going to go up here, and I'm going to see what God has for me. You can just stay, stay on this level if you want to. Number four is sit your own stage. In other words, quit waiting for somebody to give you a handout. I mean, if God told you to do something, if God told you to begin a ministry, If God has placed a dream in your spirit, in your heart, you've been in your prayer closet, and you know you've gotten close with God. You know when those times that you get close with God. And God brings revelation. He brings illumination. You know this is your DNA. This is your skill set. This is what God has said from the foundation of the world. You know it. But you're saying, well, God, you know what? (laughs) That's a great dream, Lord, but, but, but... But God, you know, I just, I don't have the finances right now. I don't have the money right now. I don't, I don't, I don't, God, I don't have the, I don't, I don't know where it's going to come from, Lord. Sit your own stage. You take what God has given you and don't give the devil an opportunity to discourage you because if you do, he will and you'll quit because you don't see everything there. The greatest moment in Isaac's life, I believe, is when he saw his father sit his own stage. He said, well, Daddy, Daddy, I I see the wood. Uh, Daddy, I see the knife. Ooh, it's sharp. Daddy, I I feel the fire. Knife, fire, wood. Something is missing. Where's the sacrifice, Daddy? And what did Abraham say? He said, God will provide the sacrifice. Isaac saw two things. He saw his father sit his own stage, take what he had, and Isaac saw God provide the sacrifice. I believe there's some people in here, you've been, you've been just sitting on the dream. And one thing that's happening, you'd be surprised at how quickly you age. You still got the dream, but you don't have the youth anymore. And you'd be surprised at how quickly time goes by. I'm almost 60, 60 years old. Unbelievable. And I don't like it, to be honest. <laughs> I don't like it. But you'd be surprised that you're a kid running around with no shoes on. And now you can't even find your shoes. Where are my shoes at? <laughs> Honey, where are my shoes at? 
Oh, baby, they're right on your feet. Oh, oh, okay. That's what those are. You know, it's a sad thing. I, I love my mother. My mother's 93. And uh, I preached a couple weeks ago in Louisville. My brother, he brought her up for Cincinnati, and uh, she was in the sermons, or rather the service, preached, you know, preached a pretty good message. Then we went out to Cracker Barrel, group of people, and uh, somebody said, well, aren't you proud of your son? He preached a good message. You're proud of Joe Jackson? Mother's right across the street from me, I mean, the table from me. She said, who's Joe Jackson? Who's Joe Jackson? Who's Joe Jackson? You'd be surprised how quickly you age. Some of you have just been waiting again for that perfect scenario the perfect storm, instead of taking what God has given you and beginning to make an impact. Take the raw resources of what you can find, what you can steal, not steal, but what you can, whatever. It's the test of a champion to take what God has given him to fulfill your destiny. Contrary to what people say, champions aren't born. Winners aren't born. They're made. If you talk to anybody that's been a champion, you will tell them that, I mean, they will tell you that it didn't come without sacrifice. You see, the fire doesn't fall on the altar without the sacrifice. And when you sacrifice something that is not, valuable to you, then it's not much of a sacrifice. Because if your sacrifice doesn't move you, it won't move God. I finally did get married a few years ago for the first time. And my wife, who was not married, but she had a child. And I had an older brother have an older brother that is sort of my half-brother. We have different, different fathers, but the same mother. And my father treated him bad. I mean, he didn't beat him, but like I said, he was never there for him. Oh, he was in the home, but he never took him fishing. Uh, never taught him how to throw a ball. And my, and my older brother developed a stuttering, stampering problem even to this day. I mean, it would take him a minute to say something. When my father died in 1973, my older brother didn't even attend the funeral. And those were markers in my life. And I said that, God, if I ever marry a woman who's got a child, I will never, ever, ever treat him or treat that child like my dad treated my older brother. I'm not going to have that kind of relationship. Well, that's, that's indeed exactly what happened. I married a woman who had a, a 10-year-old daughter. And I remember the first year of marriage, 
And my daughter is playing in some kind of orchestra. She's a sixth grader. And these concerts are right on Monday night in the fall. I'm saying, God, God, hold on a minute. And I'm there with all these parents, and they just seem to love every second of it. And they're just, oh, it's just driving me crazy. I'm saying, oh, my God, Lord, 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 I don't know. I don't want to be here. Oh, God, I can't. I cannot be here. I'm missing everything. You see, I was more. I was more concerned about who's going to be a contender. I was more concerned about who's going to be the next all pro than, as Tony Dungy said, who's going to be a next all pro dad. And because my daughter was not of the same blood as me, I didn't really spend a whole lot of time with her. I didn't really, I was, I was just like my dad. I was like the same person that I swore that I'd never be. And I had to sacrifice. Actually, it was not a sacrifice. Uh, but I had to put on the altar what I thought was so important to me for the greater need, for the greater purpose. And some of you, you need to sacrifice some things. And I don't know exactly what, I, what it is, but you know. You need to take something and just put it on the altar and put a torch to it. I'm here speaking to you this morning because I took the fear of speaking and I put a torch to it. And it didn't happen overnight. But you wonder how God brings you through things. I'm teaching school at Thomas Jefferson High School for five years, and I'm thinking it's just for me to be a teacher because I love teaching. I love kids. I can coach football. But then after five years, I'm cut, kicked to the curb, last hired, first fired. I'm saying, God, what was that all about? That was all about so this could happen. See, sometimes God gives you a seed, but he doesn't give you the orchard. And I believe there's an orchard and a seed that God desires to plant in somebody in this room here. Number six is switch. And switch is the ability to transition in the middle of a road. Now, when I say switch, some of you that don't have good marriages are saying, oh, praise God. Brother's talking to me this morning. Well, I got it right from the brother this morning. No, you didn't. I'm not talking about changing spouses. Some of you are still reading a 10-year-old newspaper. Some of you are still going by a two-year-old memo. Some of you are still using techniques and styles that worked back then, but not today. And you need to switch. You need to make a transition because, as I've always stated, God will demand from you, are you traditional or are you transitional? And that question was asked to me when I was 
when I flunked my physical, doctor said the x-rays of your left knee are grow, uh, reveal gross degenerative arthritic change. Your football career is over with. Are you traditional or are you transitional? And Jesus just said, trust me, you're going to see my glory. Didn't I tell you, if you believe, you see the glory of God. Well, God, show me. You got me. Jesus says, trust me, you'll see my glory. I couldn't see this moment. I couldn't see when I've preached in every state all over the world. Not because I'm great, but because God is great in me. And really, this is the last thing that I wanted to do was get up in front of people and say, Ooh, what's going on? Because I had no confidence. I had no, but God saw it in me. God saw it, and he had to get it out of me his way. And it was painful, and it was embarrassing. Matter of fact, I taught your aunt, Julie Freetag. I taught her. And she'll probably tell you, well, he was not a great communicator. He was not a very good teacher. But from that, God brought this. And I'm not great. Don't get me wrong. But the point that I'm trying to make is that you have a destiny. You have a purpose in life that God conceived in love and purpose from the foundation of the world. Number seven, for every need in your life, for every trouble in your life, for everything that you couldn't do, God has a substitute. I told the story this morning. I'm going to tell it, tell it now in closing. Yeah, a good-looking brother like me was left at the altar twice. I can't understand it either. I, I mean, really. So I'm preaching in Long Beach at First Assembly, 97. There's somebody right there. I said, man, you know, when I was preaching, I was trying to concentrate on the word, but I said, man, that girl's fine. That girl is fine. But I hope she's single. So I had the table back there in the back. And she came by in the back. She said, can I get an autograph? I said, yeah, I'll give you my phone number too, girl. <laughs> so, so I did, and we hooked up. I flew back to Phoenix. She's in Long Beach. Emailed so-and-so on the phone. Eventually, I asked her to marry me. She said, yes, I will. I said, thank you, Lord, finally. So we get the wedding schedule to be on a Wednesday night. And Tommy Barnett says, Joe, you know what? We're going to do this thing on a Wednesday night. Just after the Wednesday night service, I'll cut it at about 8.15, and we'll go right into the wedding. Well, I asked her about it, fiance. I said, what do you think about that? She said, yeah, that's great. So my mom comes. My sisters come. My brothers come. Metal Ark Lemon is going to be my best man. All these athletes are going to stand with me. Here comes 8.15. Where is Ellen? Where is Ellen? I'm trying to be cool. Ain't nothing to worry about. She's going to show up. She never showed up. Said it again. January 7th, 98. She never showed up. My mom showed up, so I took her to Maui, the two of us walking around the beach. Kissed her on the cheek. <laughs> oh. 
It's a funny story, but my heart was broken in a thousand pieces. I was embarrassed. You know, if you ever, I mean, if you are a man in here and you've had the taste of rejection from a woman, it's a bitter taste. It really attacks everything in a man. And I thought that I would never, ever, ever stand again. I didn't want to preach again. I didn't want to see people. I mean, once, okay, but then twice the same woman, the same deal, just locked me up in the closet, cut a hole in the door where you can pass a plate of food and a bottle of pop because I don't want to see anybody. I was singing a song called The Anchor Holds, and I, 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 I just didn't even get through the song because I was hurt to the core so badly. You know, and really, that's the last time I really wept openly in front of people in a pulpit. So I had to get up. You know, your circumstances are no excuse for you not to be in a forward motion in life. Okay? Not because of the goal, but because of him. I mean, really, it's bringing contempt to him. If you allow your circumstances to control who you are, I had to get up, man. I learned from a long time ago, boy, fake it till you make it. And I was just faking it for a while. I was faking that everything was okay, but inside, I was bleeding. I was hurting. And I started walking and walking. And then in 2004, I'm working out at my gym. A, girlfriend, a, a girl comes up to me and says, are you married? I said, no, I'm single. Oh, I got perfect. Here comes another fix-up. I said, no. So anyway, had lunch with her friend. And June 25th, 2005, I ended up getting married. Because God says that if you'll just keep walking, that there's a ram in the thicket with your name on it. There's a, there's a ram, there's a blessing, there's a breakthrough, there's an answer in the thicket with your name on it, but you got to get up. You got to get up. And you got to walk the steps by the faith and in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You got to get up. There's somebody here this morning, you got to get up. We're going to close this service. I wonder if that praise, praise team could come up. But there's somebody here, you got to get up. There's somebody here who you're struggling with submission. There's somebody here who's, who has an issue in sensitivity. There's somebody here who needs to separate. There's somebody here that God has given a tremendous gift that only you can do like you can do it. But you got to set your own stage. There's somebody here that you're just close, but this thing is close to you. You got to sacrifice it. There's somebody here that you're reading the same old newspaper you've been reading for years, and you still haven't lost any weight. You need to switch, you need to change diets. Somebody here. God has a substitute for you. There's a ram in the thicket. 
I know you've been bleeding. You've been crying. For God's sake, baby, you got to get up in Jesus' name. God's got something better for you. When my fiance didn't show up, I said, God, there's nothing better than her. You don't know what you're talking about this time, Lord. And I say substitute, but really it wasn't a substitute. Because it was God's best from the foundation of the world. I just use the word substitute, but really that doesn't really define the greatness and the blessing of God. Thanks for listening. Tune in again next week.